Well, thank you. Thanks so much, Chris. Welcome again, everyone. Uh, for those of you joining us online, we, we uh, are glad you're here. We are in John chapter 21. So let's go to John chapter 21, if you like. I'm also going to read the text, and I believe it will be up on the monitor. So I'm going to jump right into John 21, verses 15, and we're going to read through till the end of the chapter, which is 25. So when they had finished breakfast, this is verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said this to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. In verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking. When you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Verse 20, Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back on his bosom at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter seeing him said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Verse 24, this is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And then the final verse in John, the book of John, John 21, chapter 21 is... And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Well, that was it. So that was a, uh, a really good book, wasn't it, John? All right, I'll talk to you guys next week. No, I'm just kidding. This is an amazing, this is an amazing ending. We talked last week a little bit about some of the uh, uh, differences in this chapter uh, than the, all the other book, because the whole entire part of the other book is about believing, and now this chapter seems to be primarily about following. Now, this period of time right now is between Jesus' ascension uh, and his resurrection and his ascension. So he had already appeared to the disciples twice already. This is the third time he appears to them, but they decided that they wanted to go fishing. And we saw that they sort of bailed out. They were waiting around for Jesus. What's going on? And uh, specifically, it was Peter who said, I'm going fishing. And we talked about that. That was sort of a renouncing a little bit of his attempt to to, to be a disciple anymore. Jesus maybe is forgetting about me. I'm going to go back and do 
what I know to do, and that is become a fisherman again, get into the fishing business. And then early that morning, after they fished all night and caught nothing, they see Jesus on the beach. And Jesus tells them, throw the, throw the, throw the net over onto the right. And they get a big old catch full of fish, 153, which we really didn't speculate too much on that number. But we, did, we do know it was indicative of become fishers of men and you will have a very big catch. And so they, Peter dives into the water. It's the Lord, they say. He goes and they have breakfast uh, right there on the beach. And so that's where we're at. So now there comes a time where Peter and Jesus have to do a little bit of talking, a little bit difficult conversation here. Peter wanted to go back to his old job. <clears throat> I don't know, many of you here I, I know are, uh, have, have started new jobs or are looking for new jobs. And getting a new job is very, very exciting. There's new people. There's new things to learn, new things to understand. What's even more exciting is discovering what you love and then learning how to do it and then getting paid to do what you love. And as the saying goes, you never work a day in your life when you do that. Why you love doing it. It's you see it's your purpose. You get satisfaction from it. You get enjoyment. And once you get hired, you look forward to that first day of work. But imagine this. Imagine interviewing for that new dream job, career, whatever it be. Then you get to the second interview. And the boss tells you he'll call you with the start date. Just needs to check your references. Get your position in order. But basically, other than that, you got the job. So you're excited. But then what happens? <clears throat> Days go by. Maybe weeks. You don't hear anything. You send a couple emails. You send a couple texts. You get nothing back in return. What's going on? Did something happen? Did he call one of my references? Maybe I uh, didn't get a great report. It was a negative report. So you wait around. And you say, I guess this isn't it. I guess I'm going to have to settle. Now, this comes pretty close, not exactly, obviously, but pretty close to what Peter did in this chapter of what I just described to you. He was waiting for Jesus, and he went back and settled for what he used to do. And of course, he caught nothing. I know the other disciples also joined along with Peter here, but the focus in this chapter that John is drawing our attention to is Peter, his attitude, and his interaction with Jesus. Now, the last time Peter and Jesus were together, just so you know this, Jesus was resurrected. There was probably shock and joy and maybe even some confusion. And although Peter heard from Jesus... And probably spoke to him on those times where he appeared to him. They both knew a more serious, real conversation, maybe even private talk needed to take place. Why? Well, because Peter really goofed. Peter had denied Jesus three times just before his death. Imagine how terrible you would feel. If the last thing that you did to one of your best friends was betray him and then he ends up passing or she ends up passing. The guilt, the shame, the torment. And then, boom, they're alive again. Like they said they would be. 
but you know that there's still that big elephant in the room. They have to deal with this. Peter was on the verge of giving up. Then Jesus shows up. So it's sort of him telling Peter in, in not in any exact words, but hey, you did get the job and now it's time to start. It's to start your real job of fishing, which is the new career of fishing for men, going out and bringing people in to the net that need to be saved. But Peter knew he messed up and Jesus knew Peter messed up. He understood Peter was ashamed of his failure by denying him three times, especially after bragging so much. Peter was a bragger. He bragged about his loyalty to Jesus. I'll never leave you. These people may betray you, but not me. And there he goes, three denials. But it's quite amazing that we get a great insight to not only the the character of Jesus, but also the compassion that Jesus has towards sinners. Notice Jesus didn't chew Peter out. Or harshly reprimand him. Didn't even poke fun. Now he did have the charcoal fire set up. Remember that's where he denied him. In front of that charcoal fire. and in, in, Inside Pilate's uh, little area there. He did have. Uh, you know he, he had that. He had the fish already s- sort of cooking. And they sat down. And he did talk to him. And asked him these questions. Do you love me three times? Which is implying that this was to offset what what Peter had done. Peter was to tend Jesus's people, tend his sheep. But his main job description would be a little bit higher than that. And this is where we all come in. His main job description before catching men, before shepherding sheep and doing all those things is to follow Jesus. Follow him. So what I want to do is I want to take a look at what it meant for Peter and also what it means for us to follow Jesus. Because this is a very over, I don't know if I say overused, but it's a frequently used term in the realm of the church and Christianity is that you got to follow Christ. You got to follow the Lord. But really, what does it mean for us to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a fisher of men for his kingdom? especially when we feel inadequate to do it. We don't feel like it's something we could live up to. So what does it mean and how can we learn from Peter's experience? Well, the first thing Peter did by going back and settling and being ashamed of doing all that other stuff is I don't believe he really truly understand what it meant to follow Jesus. What does it that mean? to follow him. I mean, he, he knew it meant maybe, uh, you know, remembering his commandments and doing all those things, but it also means sometimes that we have to wait. Now, Jesus tells Peter twice here to follow him. He tells him to follow him in verse 19, and he tells him uh, again to follow him in verse 22. And then we see John the disciple literally following behind. And that's, 
not what the word follow means. There's a lot of ways to say it. John could have used other words than the word that he used here in the Greek. What this word to follow means is not just to stand behind and walk after somebody. It means to come alongside as an attendant. An attendant, somebody that is going to almost like a servant. I am coming alongside of you and attending to you. That's what it means to follow. Jesus said in John 10, we're, we're, we're going back at these echoes from the shepherd analogies that he used, that shepherd sheep relationship. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They come alongside of me as an attendant, like picture a shepherd and his sheep walking around. I saw a video the other day of this, I guess, sheep dog, which was just incredible. I'm sure you guys have seen it. It was floating around where these, these sheep start to go in the wrong direction. Did you guys see it? And the dog jumps on top of the sheep and runs in front of them and like knocks them off, you know, the course and gets them on the right course and comes back. And it's just an amazing thing how they're able to do this. You know, they keep them together. And so the shepherd is in charge of making sure that all of his sheep are in order, his sheepdog, all that stuff. But they're together. The sheep are with the shepherd and it's an attendant shepherd relationship. But it also means to follow Jesus, to be his attendant. It also means to serve him, to serve Jesus. Because we see in John 12, 26, it says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am there, my servant will also be. And if anyone serves me, my father will honor him. So you can't serve Jesus without following him. Literally, so you could serve him some food, maybe, without following him. Wait, wait on his table, maybe. That's not what he means. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. They're in, they're, they're, one cannot be without the other. So if you're not serving Jesus, then you really need to question whether or not you could be considered a follower of Jesus. So serving Jesus is, follow, is doing what it is that he asks you to do. And it's very... It's simply, yeah, follow him, but love one another, love God. All the different commandments that Jesus wants us to do. And how does that flesh out? It fleshes out in our actions of love towards others. Because that's the heart of Christ. He wants us to love one another. Love is the number one most important thing. That's what Paul says. It's better than all the other gifts. If you have not love, they don't even matter. I don't care about your teaching. I don't care about your preaching. I don't care about your giving. Love. And so this service, this servant attitude is all about love. It's an active following of Jesus. An active obedience that stems from a changed heart by Jesus. And that's what we're about to look at here. See, Peter didn't get this process, though. The process is waiting. The process is stumbling. The process is sometimes opening your mouth, saying dumb, dumb things. Getting lost. Being lonely. This all is part of following the Lord. Peter didn't get that. So to follow the Lord, 
to come alongside of him as his attendant and to serve him is not a fast, necessarily a fast pace, always on the go, always understanding what I'm supposed to do. No, sometimes there is going to be delays. But that is where you must trust who you are waiting on, who you are following, the creator, the faithful one, the one that can never lie, the one that will never leave you nor forsake you, as Chris read from the Old Testament even. So how do we do this? Well, the first thing to understand following properly on top of all this is you have to eliminate all negative thoughts or all thoughts of being left behind by Jesus. He's not going to leave you on the beach to fish if that's not what you're called to do. If he's told you, if he's waiting, if he says to wait for me, if he says, go ahead of me at Galilee, I'm going to be there because that's what that's what he told them. He will show up. So how do we join Jesus as his attendant? Well, the number one thing, it has to be, there has to be restoration. You see, before we can come to Christ and follow him and come next to him, we must be restored to him as God. We must be restored to him from our sin, from our life of the flesh, We must come to Christ and be restored by him in order to properly serve him and be his attendant and follow him. Otherwise, we're living a false Christian life. If we're still living in our sin, if we're still living in disobedience to God, if we're still not putting him first in our life and we try to follow him, it's going to be a big old mess. It's going to be the hardest thing that you could ever do. It's going to be like dragging weights around all day long, tied chains tied to you. And that's what the following is going to be like, as opposed to what Jesus promises. And that is when we come to him and follow him, it's easy. It's not simple necessarily. It's going to be an adventure. But his yoke is easy. So we need to understand this. We need to love him, but we must be first restored. And so that's the second thing we need, is we need this restoration. This is what Peter needed for his own good, just as we do. In order to follow Christ, we need to be restored. So look at this conversation here. So, first of all, we see these three, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Three is used in the Bible a lot. Um, It's uh, considered a lower level of the number seven, a lower, a lower symbolic number of, of perfection. But we know that this parallels with Peter's denials. So it says in verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, uh, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I don't know about you, but I would expect Peter to be saying, Jesus, do you love me? Do you still love me? Except it's Jesus, the one that's doing the initiating again. He is seeking them out. He is initiating that reconciliation. And that's what he does with each of us. He comes to us and presents himself as the great reconciler. That's what he's doing right now through the preaching of this word. You're here today, not for any other reason other than God has brought you here 
to hear the word of God, to hear Jesus Christ, and to hear about Jesus Christ, and to know that he is reaching out to you and saying, be reconciled to me right now, wherever you are. And so he says, he says it three times. <clears throat> but the, one of the keys about this passage is that the word love that's used three times is used differently almost each time. And so let me read it to you in that, in that sense. It says, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now the word love there is agapeo or agape love. But there's in the, in the Greek, there's four different words for love. There's uh, agapeo, agape love, which is this highest top form of love. It defines God's immeasurable love, incomparable love for humankind. It's divine love. It's perfect, unconditional, sacrificial, and pure. That's agape love. So Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? Now, some people say more than these. Is he talking about the other disciples? Or is he talking about that big pile of fish? I think he's talking about the fish, or maybe he's talking about both, because that's what Knucklehead was doing. He was trying to fish, and here you go. Here's your fish. But do you love me more than this? Are you ready to go beyond this type of fishing? And he uses that word agapeo or agape. <clears throat> he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he doesn't use that word. When Peter answers, he uses the word phileo, which means like a brotherly love. <clears throat> it's an intimate love that Christians, let's say, practice towards each other. It describes a powerful emotional bond seen in very strong friendships. So Jesus says, Simon, do you agape me? And Peter says, yeah, Lord, you know that I, I really love you like a buddy, like a friend. You know that I really care about you. Seems sort of odd. And Jesus doesn't say anything. He just says to him, tend, which means feed, nourish my lambs. Now, a lamb is a, a sheep that's under one years old. So tend my lambs. And he says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me? <clears throat> now, he said to him, <clears throat> yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. So again, we go back to the same sort of pattern here. He said, shepherd my sheep. He said to him again the third time, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, this is where Jesus goes, do you phileo me? So Jesus changes his word now to match what Peter was responding back to him. Okay, so do you love me like a brother? And he was grieved because he said this to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So there's various interpretations of this. Why did these words, why are they different? I mean, they are different. You can't get around the fact that they're, they're different forms of the word love. I did tell you there were four. 
There's agape and phileo, which we just used. And then there's eros love, which is a romantic love, and storges love, which is a family love that, like, say, brothers and sisters would have towards each other. But just these two are being used interchangeably here. Now, <clears throat> there is the most popular interpretation of this is that Jesus is showing Peter, I love you unconditionally. And Peter's not sort of there yet. So Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you like a brother. I love you like with, a, with an intense love, but just not like that. And then Jesus comes down to his level and says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you where you're at. And so that's one interpretation. Um, and Peter too, it's, it's interesting because in the book of Peter, when he uses the word love, he never uses any other word other than agape again. So maybe there was a change. Maybe Peter is grieved because of his own response as well. <clears throat> Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 8, 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice. And then he uses it again in, chat, in verse 22. But I believe that if you look through the scriptures, especially in John we see that this is used interchangeably. So anyone who <clears throat> loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and might, excuse me, and make our home with them. That's agape love. And then we see here in John 16, Jesus says, no, the father himself loves you because you have loved me and believe that I came from God. Jesus uses phileo love there. So interchangeably, almost the same meaning. I don't think Jesus is talking about the father himself thinks, loves me like a buddy. I think he's really meaning. He really, really loves him. And in the Septuagint, which is the Greek uh, version of the Old Testament, in Proverbs 8, we say, those who love me, phileo me, I love them, agape. So we see another, both verbs there being translated the same. So they're used synonymously. So where am I going with all this? When am I going to stop talking about this? <laughs> Have I preached myself into a corner? No. No, I believe the point John is making, and this is my point to this here, is that I believe John is trying to show us, regardless of what you think about the interpretation or not, because it could work. It's not, oh, it's, it's a, you know. It's a heretical way to look at it. No, I believe John is making the point to show us that unconditional, personal, experienced-based love is what Jesus wants us to have for him. I believe he wants us to have that unconditional love, but also that experiential love that we get when we are with a friend or we know someone our whole life and we would die for that person. They're like our brother or our sister, our husband or our wife. That's the type of love. It's a combination of those things that I believe Jesus wants us to have to, with him when he restores us back to himself. And so it's not just an intellectual consent. It's not just an agreement. It's a, 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 an unconditional love that now is going to be fleshed out into action. Notice, Jesus didn't say, Simon, do you love me more than these? And he's, of course, you know I love you. All right, well, then don't ever deny me again. Simon, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, I do. Well, make sure the next time you stand up for me. 
You know, he didn't do all that, right? What did he do? You love me? Then I want you to obey me. You love me? Tend my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. And this is the same thing that Jesus is telling us. Read these verses and put your name in there. Jesus said to Pat, Pat, do you love me more than all these? I said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my lambs. Do something. If your love for Christ isn't being fleshed out into visible action, then that's not love. You have a good, you're emotional, maybe about Jesus. But if you're not living your life for Christ with action, then that, I don't know, can necessarily be love. Now, everybody's at different spots. I'm not saying it's like you have to live up to the certain checkbox of things that you have to do. But it's a love that Jesus showed that we have to emulate. This is a love right here that he's showing Peter. He's coming out after him. He's showing compassion on him. He betrayed Jesus. How many of us have been betrayed before? It's one of the hardest things ever to deal with. I was betrayed by a very, very good friend years ago. And we've since reconciled, which is great. It was one of the most hurtful things. You know, and I didn't go go to him and say, hey, let's, um, you know, Let's reconcile and do you love me and all this stuff. I went into my gym and started beating on my heavy bag with a baseball bat. <laughs> I really did. I was so angry because that's human nature, right? That was wrong. I shouldn't have did that. That's Jesus though. Jesus goes, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm showing compassion. I'm showing, I'm, I'm coming to you gentle and meek to somebody who completely was betrayed by him. But this is nothing for Jesus because he's done it for everyone. Every single person is an enemy of God that's born into this world. They're dead in sin. And Jesus restores them because of his love. While we are enemies of God, while we are betrayers, while we are, and just list all the sins down, he died for us. And now he's showing and fleshing this out as he goes after Peter. It's not Peter is not like this big important thing. No, Peter's job is to be a shepherd. His job is going to be go be a pastor, go shepherd my sheep, teach, do all this stuff. You're, you got a lot, you know, in another, another 35 years of, of ministering to me. And then what does he say? Then you're going to be taken to a place that you don't want to go. And someone's going to stretch out. So he's predicting Peter's death, which was, which was by crucifixion. And see, we'll get more on that in a second. But he says he signified, what 19, what kind of death he would glorify God with. This is a positive thing that it's being spoken of here. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Could you imagine somebody telling you how you were going to die? What? What did you just say? Just follow me. Don't worry about that. And that's the third thing. The third thing we need to do in order to follow God, follow Jesus, 
is we must be willing to follow his plan, which is the cross. The cross for all of us. See, that's the beginning of following Jesus. If you haven't come to the cross, if you haven't brought your sins to the cross of Christ, if you haven't seen what Jesus and really understand what Jesus did for you, he died on that cross suspended between heaven and earth, nailed, side pierced, blood spilled out for your sins, and then rose from the dead for your justification. And he'll do the same for each of us, as his promise says in throughout the scripture, we will be raised with a glorified body to live with him forever in his new creation. But if you haven't come to him, to that cross in your life, then that is the key to following Jesus. And it's a daily death. It's a daily cross. Jesus calls it picking up your cross and following after me. That's what he wants us to do. And it's, it's, it seems like it's so, I got to pick up my cross and be a Christian. Follow Jesus. Oh, I'm carrying my... That's not what it is. It's, it's not literally following him, literally to a cross necessarily. It's just saying, you want me to pick up my cross? Yes. You want me to get crucified? Well, not necessarily. But I do want you to die to yourself. So you take your plan and you put it aside and you say, I am going to follow Jesus now. I am going to be unoffendable. I am going to be resolute. I am going to be at peace. I'm not going to be all Russian and round and thinking I got to do this and do that and try and worry about this. And no, 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 no. We'll get there. It may not be there yet for you guys, but the cross starts with, it, with, with coming to Christ and saying, I'm giving it to you. And like Elvira said in Sunday school, I forget what it was, but she, if, if you have to, you think about God all the time, you take every thought captive to Christ. Every thought, if you have to do that. Every single thought. Start there. You'll, you won't do it perfectly but you'll do it good enough and then you'll start to build that momentum. That's the cross. Turning from sin. Turning from your old life and focusing on Jesus. Coming alongside of him as his assistant. And that's what Peter had to do. But Peter did. He, died. he literally followed Jesus to the cross. In AD 64, he died under the reign of Nero. He didn't want to be crucified like his Lord. So, so they say there's a couple of apocryphal, apocrypha, um, what the word apocryphal books? Did I say that right, Kev? Okay. Uh, that speak of him being crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like his Lord. <clears throat> so one plan, one plan to follow Jesus. The first step, yeah, we got to be, we got to understand what it means. The second step is, which, you know, it means to become his attendant, to serve him. That's, that's what following means. But in order to do that, we must be restored to him. Now, this is a daily thing. Because if, if you're like me, you probably sin daily. Now, you shouldn't be willfully out there going, yeah, I'm a sinner and it's, you know, we're supposed to be. I'd say, I can't help it too much. So, yeah, I'm going to just dive into my sin and swim around. And now that's miserable. That's a life of misery. 
but it's a daily reconciliation with the Lord, keeping a clean, clear conscience. I point that because those the real men that came to the men's group would have known what I was talking about. Because Kevin talked that last week, and it was excellent. Having a clear conscience before God. So simple, to, uh, such a simple concept. What peace it brings to know that we are, our conscience is clear. We're doing our best. We're doing our best, and Jesus is Lord, and I'm, I'm following you. My conscience is clear. Yep, I know I messed up. Poop, clear my conscience. I'm moving on. It's at the cross, but I'm keeping going. I'm following. And that's what the pattern must be. Denying ourselves and picking up our cross. And this is what Peter says. Look, or Jesus says, look, this is what's going to happen. Follow me. But he says, well, what about this guy over here? And he was following him. And Jesus said, look, what if I want him to remain until I come? I return. In other words, stop worrying about others. We do that all the time, constantly. We're always worried about what other people think. I think it's just part of human nature. And we should want a good reputation and we should want to have a good influence and be a good example. But that's not what we're talking. That's not what he's talking about here. What we're talking about as it relates to serving Christ and following him. Don't worry about the person next to you so much. Pray for him. Be there for them. But don't worry about what God's doing with the person next to you. It could be something completely different. If that person sitting next to you, maybe God wants him to live as, or her to live as long as until he comes back. What? I want, I want to live until you come back. Nope. Follow me. Follow me. That's what you must do. Don't overthink it. And by the way, <clears throat> John, uh, according to tradition, <clears throat> was thrown into a huge basin Boiling oil after being arrested in Ephesus and then was sent to the island of Patmos where, you know, he got the vision of, of Christ and, and he apparently, according to tradition, was, uh, did in fact die in his 90s. And there was rumors that he was taken up like Enoch was and there was a lot of stuff. But I think John specifically put this addendum onto his book to let people know that that's not the fact because he says it here. He didn't say he wouldn't die. Is verse 23. But only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? Mind your own biswax. Okay? Let me do my thing and you simply follow me. So order, in order to follow Jesus, understand what it means. Walk in his steps, be his attendant. Join him as his attendant. Be restored. See, this is the coolest thing, I believe, about the character of Christ. Is that, and, we, and I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. That is his job, is to come to save sinners. Jesus' job is to come to you and save you from your sin. Jesus' job is to break the power of sin in your life and to make you more like him. Jesus' job is to get his hands dirty with your life. But we don't like that. We don't want to come. It's like saying, I said last week, it's like, not, you know, I'm not going to go to this. I know I need heart surgery, but I'm not going to go to the surgeon and make him, you know, give me a heart transplant and all that. No, we never want to do that to him. He's a busy guy. No, he's a surgeon. That's his job. Jesus is the savior of sinners. He came to save sinners. 
and to call sinners to repentance, not the righteous. There is no righteous. No, not one. So Jesus has an open invitation to you to get restored and reconciled with him. He'll clean your life up. He'll take your life and change your life. He'll make you a new creation. He'll free you from the bondage of sin. He'll free you from a life that's, that's literally, with all due respect to everybody here, worthless without him. And I say that from a, from a, very, from a, from a spiritual perspective, from a perspective of eternity, and certainly a perspective of your quality of life. Because Christians that love Jesus rarely can rarely get, the, regardless of what's going on in their life, they still have that joy. So I can say that it is a wonderful life with Christ. Not because of my circumstances, but because of who he is and what he's done to me. So you must come and trust him. And give up your plan, of course. That plan, don't go backwards like Peter did. Go to the cross. Now, I just want to comment a little bit on this last verse here. Uh, there are, it says here, um, <clears throat> and there are also many other things which Jesus, which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. You know, this is, I'm sure, hyperbole. I mean, I, I looked on, on Google and there was exactly, uh, in 2010, there was 129,864,880 books in the world. And that was in 2010. So could you imagine how many books are in the world now, especially with digital content? Now, why do we know that? Why did I know that? Why does Google know that? Because they want to take all the books that are written and digitize them. That's what they want to do. You see, what John is trying to tell us here is that Jesus, there's nobody like him. There's nothing else that can replace him. Whatever you're looking for, it, it starts with him. If you're looking for, if you're looking for salvation, if you're looking to be cleansed of your sin and to get right with God, which you should, that should be your number one priority in your life. John is telling us here, there's nobody better to come to. There is no one else that you can come to. Now, so with that said, 